You are listening to The Happy Gynecologist with your host, Amanda Miles, MD. Hey y'all, welcome back to The Happy Gynecologist, episode number 134, How to Get Out of Survival Mode, the webinar replay. All right, y'all. Well, welcome back. I'm so glad to have you. Um, I have heard from so many of you since our last episode, and I just want to say um, that I I hear you. Um, what you are feeling is valid, and what you're doing out there is just the most amazing work um, by doing the work that it takes to start taking care of yourself and your brain and, and your amazing, amazing skills that you have, because that's what we do whenever we put ourselves first. We are saying, I matter, I am important. And, um, you know, whenever we start to do that, we are caring for not only our brain, but but our health and our well-being and therefore our, our skills and our amazing, amazing attributes. Now, that is not just our skills as OBGYNs. That is our, our true skills as, as, you know, women or, or you know, uh, mothers or parents or whatever you identify as in that realm, you know, um, maybe you, you are an amazing, um, you know, friend, maybe you're an amazing sister or sibling. Um, those skills are also being, being nurtured as well. Okay. Um, and then so many other skills that you have. Uh, so whenever I say skills, I don't just mean your OBGYN skills, but that is also getting protection because you are taking care of your brain and your amazing mind and your amazing um, effort and work and compassion um, that you have and that you show up and do every day. So um, good job and keep up the good work to everybody that reached out to me recently. Um, I appreciate hearing from you and you're doing an awesome job. I want you to know that. Um, Today, I um, am going to share the replay with you of the recent webinar where we wrapped up the survival mode series, okay? The webinar was how to get out of survival mode. So for those of you that didn't make it or didn't watch the replay, um, now you have the option to listen in your car. (laughs) And if you haven't, um, you know, haven't listened already, it may be something that you have to listen to a little bit at a time and then really process and digest, okay? Maybe you already did listen to the replay and you're like, you know, oh, I already listened to that. I don't need, I don't need this episode. Well, but maybe you get something new out of it every time, okay? I know there are podcasts out there that I go back and listen to, uh, like regularly. I go back and listen to some of my mentors' podcasts and some of the people I, I respect's podcasts. Um, there's a bunch of, of ones that I have just like saved or starred, you know, um, that I go back like probably every few months and listen to. Um, and I get something new out of it every time because I can apply it to my my special situation or whatever's going on in that moment, right? And so it's it's new every time because I can then apply it to what's going on in my life right then. So today we're gonna we're gonna give you all of that that replay, and um, I will talk to you next week. I hope you enjoy. All right, bye. Hello, hello. Come on in, y'all. So excited to see you. Um, we are gonna get started. For those that don't know me or we haven't met. Good to meet you. Amanda Miles here. Um, I'm guessing that we have probably um, met each other either on social media or on the podcast. So um, very happy to have you here. And um, if someone can do me a favor as we get started here, um, if someone can type in the Q&A that you can see me and hear me, uh, we will get going. I hope that you all have your coffee. I have mine. <laughs> 
And we will get started on talking about how to get out of survival mode. Oh, thanks. Okay. So thanks, Jen. I appreciate you. Um, all right. So we are going to get started today. We are going to be talking about how to get out of survival mode. We've been talking on the podcast, um, how to, you know, how to recognize all the ways that survival mode shows up for us. And so we are going to really have um, a good session here and I'm going to teach you some really cool stuff. And I want this to be laid back. I want this to be interactive. Okay. I'm going to put myself up in the tiny corner of the screen. Um, but if at any point you have a question, uh, type it in the Q&A anytime. Okay. I will make sure that we get all the questions answered. Um, I'll check in on that uh, occasionally, and I'll definitely check in on that at the end. If something hits home with you, um, then I want you to, you know, let me know that. Um, and if something, you know, is is not quite clear to you, please type it in the Q&A. I would love, love, love this to be an interactive session, okay? So, all right, we are going to dive in, my friends, okay? So we are going to talk about how to get out of survival mode today, how to get out and stay there. Um, and what we are going to use as our kind of our tool that we are using the whole time with all of this is something that um, I've referred to on the podcast called the window of tolerance. Okay. And this is the best state of uh, kind of what we call arousal for our nervous system, right? So um, it's like the, the good state for our nervous system in which we can function and thrive in our everyday lives. And whenever we move outside our window, either above it or below it, we can either enter a state of hypo, below, or hyper arousal for our nervous system. And that's when we kind of fall into the survival mode, right? And so whenever we're within our window, everything's good, right? We, we feel grounded. We feel, you know, open. We're compassionate and caring and confident. We, we're curious. We're open. We're present. We're flexible. All the things, right? We have all these, you know, access to all these good emotions, right? And we can emotionally self-regulate. We can let the little things come and go. We aren't, you know, really, you know, torn up about something little if we're within our window of tolerance, okay? Um, we can also perform our tasks more effectively because we're able to access the part of our brain that is more efficient at, at performing tasks, more creative, uh, more able to access that complex thinking, okay? Whenever we are within our window of tolerance, we also have better relationships. We're, we're able to relate to other people better. We're able to relate to ourselves better. And we actually find more enjoyment in our activities, okay? We can enjoy our day. We can enjoy the things around us, okay? And I want you to start this webinar by thinking about like an example. And I would love to hear what an example is of how big is your window right now? Okay. So it could be like any type of window. Is it like a really big, like, like window on the front of like a, a of a like shop, right? Like a store front window. Is it huge? Okay. Is it kind of a medium size, like a, like a single pane window at your house? Is it more like, um, you know, like one of the smaller windows that's like maybe in your bathroom or above your kitchen sink, you know, do you have like a smaller window? Um, is it like an airplane window? You know, is it, you know, small enough to kind of see through, but not real big at all? Or is it maybe like even tinier? This is kind of where my window was whenever I was burnt out. It was like this size. I don't know if you guys can see this. <laughs> It's like a Lego window, right? Like I can like maybe look through it with one eye. 
but mostly I'm like living all up here or all down here, right? And so I would love to know, like, what's the size of your window right now? Okay, is it kind of medium, kind of kind of small? Is it doing pretty good? Um, and I want you to think about that. Like, how often are you up above or down below in survival mode? Okay, if something happens and you're stuck in traffic on the way to a delivery, are you like up here, like getting your road rage and like yelling at the cars in front of you or like freaking out, like I can't make it in time, you know, or are you like, okay, well, I can't help the traffic, you know, are you within your window and dealing with it? Or are you like all over the place in survival mode? Okay. So think about a specific example like that, maybe. Um, and I also want you to kind of consider that there are a lot of things um, that can shrink our window. Okay. So, um, I've looked at the Q and A. Yeah. Lord says tiny, like the window at the top of the basement, non-existent, right? Like my little Lego window, right? Medium sized window. Yeah. All the things. Okay. So, um, you know, no matter where your window is right now, it can always get a little smaller. Okay. Even though it seems like it can't get much smaller than this little Lego window, right? It, it, can get smaller so that we're not able to access that good part of ourselves whenever we are sleep deprived. How many of us out there are sleep deprived like every day as an OBGYN, right? Um, lack of poor nutrition, lack of exercise. If you're, if you've been sick or you have like an injury that hurts you constantly, like you have a bad hip or something, um, not processing your stress effectively shrinks your window. Okay having chronic stress in your life. That's all of us, right? Everybody raise a hand if you if you relate to that. Traumatic events. How many traumatic events have you had at work in the last year, right? I bet it's probably, everybody here could at least name one or two, is my guess. Um, and then limiting beliefs. All of these things make our window tinier and tinier and tinier so that we're not able to, to access that most like creative, open, confident part of ourselves. And we end up acting out of survival mode. And so as we talked about, whenever we're outside of our window, we enter the four uh, modes of survival mode, right? Fight, flight, freeze, and fawn. <laughs> I think we've all, we've been talking about that on the podcast, right? And so whenever we're in any of those, four modes, that survival mode, if we're there a lot because our windows are tiny, so, you know, we're functioning most of the time from outside of our window, then guess what? That leads to, to burnout, okay? Burnout essentially is living from that place and our brain is, is actually kind of rewired to function from survival mode, okay? There are fMRI studies out there that we function more from the amygdala and the primitive part of our brain and less from the prefrontal cortex, which is the part that, you know, we function from whenever we're within the window, okay? And I want you to know this, is that if we are burnt out, our cognitive functioning is actually affected, okay? Like how well we are able to use our brain. And we have disrupted creativity, disrupted problem solving, and disrupted working memory. So it's not just like you're in a bad mood. It's like you actually have effects of like how like well you're doing, right? So as we've talked about, you know, fight and flight is above the window, 
right? So that's the hyper aroused nervous system. That's whenever you're all amped up about something. Okay. And this can show up in a lot of ways. We know that we've talked about that. It can be like getting really frustrated with the little stuff that might seem small to other people. It can be worrying and stressing and just like ruminating, having anxiety about a bad case coming in whenever you're on call, you know, a bad case, whatever that bad is to you. Okay. It can show up like being overly critical to the people you work with, the people that live in your house with you. Okay. The people you interact with every day. It can show up like being really restless, like I'm off this weekend, but I just can't, you know, I can't relax. I have so much to do. I, and then you like, feel like you're like, got to go, go, go still. Okay. Even if you're like, well, I don't really have anything to do, but I, I need to find something. Right. And so it can kind of show as this like weird, restless feeling for some people. It can show up like being on vacation and checking on your phone, the heart tone strips and obsessing over it, worrying about it, even though you're on vacation, you're out of town, your partner's on call, right? It can show up like constantly looking at other jobs. You're looking for ways to escape, okay? Or other ways to, to like get out of this life, get out of medicine, okay? And whenever we're in fight or flight or we're above our window, hyper aroused nervous system, that comes with a lot of feelings of anxiety, anger, frustration, uncertainty, we can be hypervigilant, wanting to check on those heart tones a lot, um, always looking out for that thing that might come in on call or worrying like, oh, what's going to happen next? You know, I don't know. Um, being irritable, being cynical. You know, we hear about cynicism in burnout. That's like one of the top three things that everybody usually uses to describe burnout, right? And so it comes from fight or flight. And so the opposite of that, or kind of being under our window, right? If we are in survival mode in a hypo aroused state of our nervous system, we may find that if we're living down here, that we have a hard time getting up um, out of bed, even though we had, you know, a full night's rest, or maybe we have a hard time going into the clinic or we're late because we just don't want to go. Um, the hard time kind of getting up and going. Um, we feel exhausted even after rest. It's kind of that emotional exhaustion. Um, you might have a lot of kind of internal worries about other people uh, judging you or other people thinking, oh, I'm not a good doctor. If they, if they see that I have to look this up every time, they might think that I'm not a good doctor, right? You may have stuff like that. Um, it may look like saying yes to everybody and everything and every request and trying to cure and, and fix everything to keep everybody around you happy because you fear being rejected by them or fear being judged by them, okay? Even when you really want to say no, okay? It can look like procrastination. So procrastinating on charts or, um, you know, anything. It could be procrastinating at home as well because it seems like there's too much, like there's too many things and you're just completely overwhelmed. So you just kind of sink back and don't, don't do anything, okay? And so whenever we are below our window of tolerance and we're in this um, kind of freeze and fawn mode, we're in that hypo aroused or kind of shut down state. So we feel often like we're shut down, we're numb. Um, maybe we're ineffective or indifferent. Like I just, I don't even know what to feel. I don't care, right? 
apathetic may be also a good word to put here or a good feeling to put here. Um, there's a lot of shame that comes if we're living below our window, okay? We're afraid that someone will, will think that we aren't good, right? Someone will think that we are less than, that we're not worthy, right? We're overwhelmed. We're emotionally exhausted. So what we know is that, you know, we see that this can happen and, and we see this in ourselves, but how do we get out of it, right? How do we, how do we grow our window is the real question, okay? So we need tools so that we can come back to our window, but also so that we can grow the window so we aren't outside of it as easily, okay? So that the one tiny little thing doesn't set us off above or below our window. If our, if our window's bigger, we can let those little things roll off us, okay? We have the tools we need to, um, to stay within our window. And here is where I'm gonna share a secret. <laughs> this is the secret. And the secret is we have not been taught how to process our stress, okay? I wasn't ever taught this, at least. Like nobody ever taught me how to process stress. I've been taught to deal with stress, like just deal with it, right? Um, I've been taught to tolerate stress, like I let it be there, like I it's just a part of your life, right? I've been taught to be resilient, like to keep going in the face of stress. Um, I've definitely been taught to stuff my stress down, right? I'm really good at that sometimes. Um, and I've been taught to ignore your stress, ignore my stress, right? And you probably have been too. This is what we've been taught to do. We have not been taught how to process the stress. And that is a whole different, like a whole different ballgame, y'all. And processing our stress is an active process. And it's an active process that physiologically returns our brain and our body to that window of tolerance. Okay. It gets us out of the survival mode and back into like that homeostasis, like um, ideal functioning mode. Okay. And so this is an active process. And that's what we're going to be talking about today is processing our stress in ways that actively return us to our window. And so what we start with is physical activity, okay? So this is one of the most efficient ways to return ourselves to that window um, and to grow our window. And this can be like something big if you're an exerciser. It could be riding your Peloton, running races, okay? This can be something very, very small. Okay, so if you're not into all that or you're like, yeah, my knee isn't what it used to be. I can't do all that anymore. Okay, no problem, okay? It's moving your body in any way. And the intention behind it matters, okay? So this can totally be something that you and I can do right now. And what I want you to think about is something stressful at work. Um, think about that last shoulder dystocia you had. Think about, you know, that shitty call schedule where so-and-so isn't on and you are and you're on all these days and they aren't. And, and as you think of whatever that stressful thing is for you right now, I want you to progressively squeeze your muscles and then release them, okay? And maybe that's, you know, starting with your hands and then like maybe like your biceps, squeeze, 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 and then release, okay? And then squeeze, 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 and release, okay? As you think about that, that stressful, shitty ass event, <laughs> whatever the F it is, okay? It's enraging, whatever that is, or that was terrible. It shouldn't have been like that. 
okay? Squeeze all of your muscles in your core, okay? Your shoulders and your back and release, okay? Do the same thing with the lower half of your body. You can't see my lower half, but I'm doing it right now, okay? And as you do this, even me just doing this as I'm talking to you, you feel, you start to feel this, like this like sigh in your body almost, okay? You are actively processing the stress hormones in your body, okay? You are signaling to your body and your brain, okay, okay, there's this stress. And okay, we've, we've burnt through all the catecholamines. We are safe, okay? You are completing your stress cycle by just doing that. And even me doing this right here, I can kind of feel that sense of relaxation almost in my, in my body, that sense of ah, a little calmer, right? And so this is called progressive muscle relaxation. So you, it can be as easy as that. It can be something you do with your kids, okay? It doesn't have to be like this big planned out thing, okay? But intention matters, y'all. If you're thinking about that stress while you do it, even if it's just for one minute, that is what is going to kind of complete that stress cycle. It's going to actively process that stress and return you to your window. And the more times you do that, more times you actively and intentionally return to your window, guess what? Your window is going to grow just a little bit. Okay. So it's a process and it takes some practice. Okay. And that's what, you know, keeping with it matters. The next way that I love is super easy. Anybody can do it. <laughs> okay. That's breathing, right? We can all breathe. And what this does though, you know, the slow, deep breathing, especially with a really prolonged exhale, okay. It activates that parasympathetic nervous system. And so we have control over our sympathetics and our parasympathetics. We can balance that sympathetic by increasing our parasympathetics on purpose by doing this. Okay. Um, there are multiple studies out there that have shown that deep breathing can reduce anxiety, improve your mood, lower your blood pressure. Okay. There is a reason that breath work and like, you know, there are breathing types of uh, yoga, meditation, breath work. It's been around for literally like thousands and thousands of years. Right. And there's a reason because it works. <laughs> it is an active way to process our stress. Okay. And the people that figured this out, you know, thousands and thousands of years ago, they knew, right. And so it's, you know, what I always talk about on the podcast is, is box breathing, um, which, you know, you want to think about like inhaling, holding, exhaling, releasing, or exhaling and then holding um, like a little cube. I really like to breathe in for five, hold for five, and then exhale for 10 to complete the box because that long exhale really, um, really is what drives that parasympathetic nervous system to kind of take over more. Okay. And so if you do that, you know, breathing deeply into your belly, deeply into your diaphragm. Okay. I like to think about like, almost like expanding my, my lower chest and my lower back outward. Okay. Um, taking those deep breaths at the bottom kind of corners. If you picture a chest x-ray, the corners of your diaphragm. Okay. You know, just doing that and just like really expanding at the bottom, just doing that a few times, three times is may, maybe all it takes to return you back to that window where you're able to access the more creative, complex, problem solving part of your brain. Okay. Okay. The next way to actively process your stress is through connection. And this is more of a like long-term strategy. Okay. We, um, we know that people with acquaintances are happier. People that have regular connection 
do better, like elderly people, <laughs> elderly people that are isolated um, have way more health problems. They die sooner. So connection is super, super vital for humans. Okay. We are like herd animals. <laughs> so whenever we are in this life as OBGYN, sometimes it's very isolating and burnout is very isolating. Okay. Connection is a huge aspect of getting out of burnout and getting out of survival mode. It can be very effective, but it's an active process. Okay. So, you know, people with acquaintances are happier. That's what I said, you know, so, you know, can you make acquaintance with the, the uh, person that cleans the labor rooms, you know, can you just like learn a little bit about them, learning a little bit about like the patient in front of you that is not health related, you know, just connecting on that level. Um, laughter. Okay. Watching something funny or telling funny stories having jokes, you know, having some time where you laugh really is a way to get out of survival mode and back into that window of tolerance, because that's where we have to access that connection with someone else and, and sharing that laughter. Okay. I've talked about six second kiss or 20 second hug, you know, affection that is physical returns us back because it feels safe. Okay. We're in a safe place whenever we are show, sharing affection with another human being. Okay. Or it can be with a pet. It could be with yourself. You can even just squeezing yourself. Your primitive brain doesn't know like that it's you doing the squeezing because it's like the, the part that, you know, senses all this before you even process like, oh, I'm the one, you know, squeezing myself up here. That's where you, you think that, but your primitive brain doesn't know if you just give yourself a big bear hug for 30 seconds or 20 seconds it doesn't know it works as well. So, um, spiritual connection. Okay. Whether that's with religion, whether that's being out in nature, whether that's with yourself, connection is what can, can long-term keep us out of survival mode. Okay. And this is something that often in the world we live in, we tend to look for connection online or on social media or in ways that we aren't truly connecting with other people. And so really kind of focusing on how can I connect more with other people or with my spiritual connection or with myself, okay, is something that that can be a very purposeful thing. And connecting to your meaning in life can, can grow your window significantly, okay? And what this does is it enhances your well-being when you're doing well, and it can save your life whenever you're struggling, okay? If you have a meaning, if you have a higher purpose, if you have an ambitious goal, okay, we we use that to, um, like, you know, to, to drive ourselves whenever we are stressed or to remember, reconnect, like remember, okay, this is why I'm doing this. This is, I'm going to be okay. We can kind of fall back on to that meaning that we have. And so that could be like commitment to a religious uh, higher power. That can be commitment to a loving relationship. That can be an ambitious goal that you have for yourself. It can be just like, my goal, you know, my goal is to help as many OBGYNs as I can. Okay. That's kind of part of my meaning. Right. And so I want you to try this. I want you to spend some time and write down, like, what is my life's meaning? Like, what is my higher purpose? What am I here to do? You know, what am I here for this short amount of time on this tiny speck of a planet in this universe? What will be meaningful at the end of my life? If I, you know, if I've had a great meaningful life, what will I have done? Or what will I have accomplished? Okay. What is the goal? The overall goal, having that in mind and connecting to that frequently 
can keep you going even when things are hard. It can keep you within your window, even when things really suck. Okay. (laughs) And probably one of the the biggest teachers that I have on this is Dr. Edith uh, Eager. And I don't know if if you guys have read her books. If you haven't, you should. These books are amazing. I don't get anything from this. Um, But she um, is a PhD. She's a, a psychologist and she was a Holocaust survivor. And she talks about, you know, that we all have this choice that, you know, to choose to be higher than our circumstances, right? And she says that we can't take away suffering, but we can change what, uh, we can't change what happened, but we can choose to find the gift in our lives. We can even learn to cherish the wound. And so, you know, having a higher purpose or a connection to a higher meaning in your life and keep you in that window, even whenever you are going through horrific things or trying to recover from horrific things. Okay. So yeah, this is, this is like my number one book recommendation to anybody that likes to read, uh, the choice and the gift, I guess, two book recommendations, but, uh, get the set. It's, it's so worth it. All right. The next one's one of my favorites. Okay. So we don't often think about this, but rhythm is a excellent way to not only grow our window of tolerance, but to get back to it. Um, and so I, you can, you can, you know, listen to a great song and really get into it. And like immediately your day is better, right? Have you ever done that? And so I want you to kind of think about this dancing, playing music, singing, chanting, rhythm, playing drums, playing musical instruments. These things have been a part of every major culture, like forever, right? We've, we've um, lost sight of that, I think, in a lot of, you know, current day cultures, or, uh, you know, the predominantly like American cultures, we don't, um, we don't connect in this way as often, um, where, you know, we get together, and we sing, and we dance, and we have, you know, music um, to, to celebrate being together and connectedness. Um, This is something that, is, is, you know, one of those things that can get us back to our windows, but it also promotes connection. Um, and so we don't often think about this though. Okay. So music makes us activate the parts of our brain that are not in the primitive part of our brain. Okay. And so it's very regulating to us. And this can be as simple as putting on some of your favorite music, or maybe even some emotional music, focusing on the rhythm and allowing your body to move. Okay. And I want you to kind of think about the, maybe where this comes from, okay? Because it makes sense. Rhythm is something that we've had since we were in the womb, okay? We've been regulated, our nervous system have been regulated by rhythm since we were, you know, uh, in the womb, uh, hearing a mother's heartbeat. And then as soon as we're born, what do we do with a baby to calm them down, to, to you know, regulate their nervous system, to get them to know that they're okay? We, we shush them and we do the mama rock, right? You do that little like bouncy sway and you pat their bottom, right? Or you rock them in a chair, swaying and rocking and the butt pats that babies love. Guess what? We're grownups and that stuff still works for us. (laughs) Okay. So rhythm is literally very calming to our nervous system, just like it was whenever we were an infant. Okay. We are grownups now, but we still have that part of our brain that is calmed 
by rhythm. And so something that I know is that I, um, you know, whenever I was burnt out, I realized that probably the best part of my day was rocking my babies in the, in the rocking chair um, at their bedtime. And I felt the best whenever I was doing that. And guess what? That's why I would sit for 30 minutes probably after they went to sleep, I'd be holding them, they're asleep. And I'm just like rocking because it's calming to us. It's soothing to us. It helps us realize that, you know, that, that we are safe and that we are okay. It brings us back into that window. Okay. So you can either think of it through the dancing and the singing and the, the you know, audible rhythms, or you can think about it in the, the movement of type rhythms. Okay. Rocking and swaying and that kind of thing. Um, and so you can, you can do rhythm either way to get you back towards your window. Okay. So, um, I encourage you, if you're having a hard day, a lot of L and D's have rocking chairs to rock those babies, right? Go sit in it just for a few minutes while you work on something. Okay. Um, and just rocking it and see if that lightens it, you know, lightens your load just a little bit, because a lot of times it will. The last thing that I think, you know, uh, Maybe not the last thing. That's not the last thing. But the next thing <laughs> that I think that we as OBGYNs um, don't focus on enough, and as a field, don't don't prioritize enough. And I think that this is where, as a field, we have to start, you know, making some changes. And maybe we are, um, you know, with with the laborist movement, the hospitalist movement. But sleep is so important for us, okay? Sleep, if we are low on sleep, we are going to be way, our window is going to be smaller, okay? Even if we normally have a really big plate glass window and you lose a lot of sleep and you're up all night, you know, several days in a row, your window is going to shrink at least momentarily, okay? Um, and so I'm here to, to give you some info on sleep, okay, right? I, I didn't realize some of this. And so sleep deprivation is the causal factor in 20% of car wrecks serious car wrecks. Okay. Um, if you were awake for 19 hours and that's not that long to most of us, which is, you know, the sad part, probably, um, 19 hours is not that much. Uh, we are impaired cognitively and, um, and motor function. So our, our fine motor skills even are impaired equivalent to legally being intoxicated, right? Whenever we lose sleep chronically, it has a 12% increase in all-cause mortality, right? If you sleep fewer than five to six hours a night, chronically, guess what? Your all-cause mortality goes up. How many of us counsel our patients that they need to keep their ovaries so that they can reduce their all-cause mortality? <laughs> I don't know that the I don't know if it's a 12% increase if you take out their ovaries early. I don't know what the percent is, but this is so important, y'all. Why are we not counseling ourselves that we ought to be sleeping more? We ought to prioritize sleep. And I think the reason for that is we have been conditioned as physicians, we've been conditioned as women, we've been conditioned as carers and givers and, you know, the, the people that fix things to feel guilty about resting and sleeping. And, you know, it's like we're told by society that if we have time for adequate sleep, then we aren't accomplishing enough, right? We judge ourselves for even needing rest or for even needing sleep, right? I want you to start thinking about sleep as if it was oxygen, <laughs> okay? Because no one's going to judge themselves for needing to breathe some air. And I, I want you to start thinking about that. Like, how can I prioritize? If you don't do anything, you know, after this talk, if you don't make any changes in your life, uh, except one, I want you to like, how can I prioritize sleep 
um, you know, whenever I'm not on call, how can I prioritize sleep? Or how can I prioritize sleep if I am on call? Okay. Yeah, the phone's going to ring, the pager's going to go off, but you can still make some choices that might get you a little bit more rest. Okay. And every little bit counts. Okay. The next way to grow our window and, uh, you know, stay within our window more is mindfulness. Okay. Mindfulness is this, you know, uh, this concept of bringing your attention to this moment right now, right? Bring, bringing your, your focus to what you feel, what you're experiencing around you, um, you know, how your body feels as you sit here listening to this, this webinar, right? How do your feet feel touching the ground right now? Um, it's, it's kind of this noticing all the little things, right? Um, I think also it's kind of like, like savoring the moment, reveling in this moment, enjoying the right now, right? And so one way that I really like to bring mindfulness in is called grounding. And you can do this super easily. You can do this any time of day, um, no matter what you're doing, right? Or where you're at, you can um, do this thing where you bring your attention to five things around you that you can see. So just like count five things you see. You can do it right now. You can then say, okay, I got my five things. One, two, three, four. Yep, my cup, my mouse, my computer, my window, my desk, right? And then four things that you can feel, okay? So not just with your hands, but like, I feel this, this uh, shirt on me, right? It's soft. I can feel my feet on the ground. I can feel my body sitting in the chair. I can feel the, the cool air um, if I'm outside, right? I can feel, you know, the, the wind blowing on my face or the sun shining on me. Um, three things that you can hear, okay? Two things you can smell. And one thing you can taste or imagine tasting if, you're, if you can't taste anything, okay? This brings you back into that window. This brings your attention to the here and now, not to the worries about what's going to happen next, tonight, tomorrow, whenever I'm on call next time, um, or all the things I need to do, right? All those things I have on my list, all the things that are in my EMR inbox, and all the things I need to wash at home, like in the laundry pile, you know, it brings your attention from all of the the mind drama of the things, okay, back to right now, I am sitting here in this moment, I am safe, I can feel the things and see the things around me, and I'm safe. And that's what it signals to our brain, okay? The last and maybe most important thing that we can do to grow our window, to stay in our window, and that I think is possibly one of the biggest ways as OBGYNs that we can um, really control the size of our window and how well we do is recognizing limiting beliefs. Okay. You guys have heard me talk about beliefs. Okay. Beliefs are thoughts that we believe to be true. We've thought them over and over and over and so much so that they're just like automatic. Okay. They're hardwired into our brain. It's the truth to our brain. Okay. And so what limiting beliefs are, are thoughts or beliefs that we have that keep us stuck and they can keep us stuck in survival mode because they are often based in fear, okay? Whenever we start to look for these and start to see if we have any or start to notice whenever we have one, we can start questioning them to kind of unlock them and release them, okay? And so I'm going to kind of walk you through a few of these. And... Um, but this is a list of common ones I see for the people I work with, um, the OBGYNs that I coach in the Happy Gynecologist group. These are things that we coach on all the time, okay? And this is where coaching can really make a huge difference 
in, um, in staying out of survival mode and kind of growing your window, being more within your window is because we, this is the stuff that, that we really can dive in on, um, because it's easier to do it if you have someone kind of guiding you. Okay. Because right. You know, whenever you're like in the, in the thick of it, sometimes it's hard to realize that the beliefs you have aren't true. <laughs> and I've been there. I thought all of my beliefs were true. I was like, no, this is real. <laughs> So if you, um, if you have any of these beliefs, I'd love to hear about it. If you have anything that's not on this list, I would love to hear it. So I can add it to future talks as well. Um, because I think that, um, you know, this is, um, you know, this is something that is, is so helpful whenever we start talking about this. So, um, common ones, uh, if I ask for help, I'll be seen as weak. If I, if I say I'm struggling, they'll think I'm weak, right? If I ask for help, judge me, right? If I don't have control over, uh, I don't have control over my work life. My employer does, right? Like I can't control that. My job does. Unemployed, right? Uh, if I run behind a clinic, my patients will be mad. So what? Well, but then they'll leave my practice, right? Um, if people were to know my C-section rate, they might think I'm a bad doctor because it's not as low as I'm told it should be, right? I will never get cut up. There's always so much work and I'm always behind right? I have to overwork like this so I can pay off my loans, so I can save for retirement and, and retire, right? Whatever it is, right? I'm stuck in this job. If I have a complication, they're going to find out or someone might know, and then they're going to think I'm no good. And then I won't have any patience and my practice will suffer. And then I'll lose my job or not make any money. And then I won't be able to afford my house and I'll end up in a van down by the river. <laughs> That's essentially where our brains are going with all this, right? Is that if if I do this and someone finds out I'm not good, then it's going to be bad for me, right? And so we're also, uh, we fear a lot of things like, well, something might happen on call that I can't handle. I don't know what's going to come in. What if I can't handle it? What if, what if no one's there to help, right? If I say no, they're going to think I'm a bad person. They're going to think I'm not a team player. They're going to think that I'm not nice, Right. If I'm not working hard to accomplish something, I'm not valued. I can't be a good mom and a good doctor or my job doesn't value me. I'm just a cog in the wheel, right? We've all had these thoughts and beliefs, all of us, I, I guarantee you. Um, but these limiting beliefs are rooted in fear. We're like this little deer, this poor little deer, deer in the headlights, right? All of these are kind of rooted in fear of rejection or fear of judgment or fear of failure, fear of being trapped or pinned in, fear of the unknown, fear of uncertainty, okay? All of these limiting beliefs are rooted in fear. And guess what? Since they're rooted in fear, they then drive us to be in survival mode, okay? So whenever we believe these things and we function from these beliefs, we are going to be in survival mode more, Okay. And this is not, you know, a comprehensive list either, okay? So you may have your own limiting beliefs. I'm going to talk about a few of them, okay? Um, some of the most common ones that I see. And the one I see a lot is if I have a complication, then other people might find out. Okay, well, what's so wrong with that? You know, I mean, complications happen. That's usually what I ask people, right? Like, well, but then I'll, they'll, they'll think I'm not good, right? We're worried. We're scared, Someone might think that we're not a good doctor if we have a complication or they'll, they'll hate us or they'll sue us and then everybody will know or they'll sue us and we'll lose our job, we'll lose our financial stability, we'll lose our house, whatever, okay? So a lot of fear surrounding this limiting belief, right? And so 
what I want you to ask yourself, if you have this limiting belief too, okay, if you ever find your brain kind of functioning from this place or thinking this is really true, have you ever known a doc like that you respect or had a mentor that had a complication? Did you think worse of them? Like, did you think, oh yeah, I knew it. They weren't good doctor. I knew it. They had one complication. Darn, I shouldn't have trusted them, right? Like, no, we don't, we like respect them. We're like, no, they were a badass. They handled it. They talked to the patient. They took good care of them afterwards. Like they did great. Like that's how we view the people that we respect. And that's how, the, you know, we, we see them whenever they have a complication. We need to start viewing ourselves like that. Okay. Because whenever you handle a complication, you're doing a really good job. And no one, no one out there is like judging you for having a complication. Patients may be upset because it's not what they expected. Of course course they're going to have feelings. Okay. But it doesn't mean you're a bad person. Okay. It doesn't mean you're a bad doctor. And like, we can say that, but I want you to really start trying to believe that. Okay. I want you to ask yourself, do, do good doctors ever have complications? Right? Yeah, of course they do. <laughs> what does it mean to be good versus no good? Like if someone thinks that you're no good, like what does it take to be good? Does it take perfection? Being perfect, never having anything less than perfect, is that what it takes? Is that possible? <laughs> I'm just asking these questions. You, we got to ask questions to start like really inspecting this belief and really kind of putting holes in it, right? How big of a complication would it take for someone to find out and think that you're no good? Would it have to be a huge complication? Or what if it was like a little post-op skin infection? Are they going to think that you're no good then, right? What about a post-op UTI? That's a complication. Are they going to think you're no good if they have that? Like if someone has that? No, <laughs> just happens, right? What if someone needs a unit of blood after a complicated hysterectomy? Is that, that's technically complication, right? Like if they lost blood, you give them blood, technically, right? So how big of a complication does it have to be for you to be a bad doctor, right? It doesn't have to be like, I want you to like disconnect how good you are versus complications. Okay. And I want you to ask yourself too, why does your brain want to stay in their good graces? Right. Your brain wants you to be safe. Your brain wants you to be a part of the in crowd. It wants you to be part of the herd. Okay. It doesn't want you to be left all alone in a van down by the river with no one, no one seeing you. Right. <laughs> so start picking apart. If you relate to this, if you relate to this, uh, this belief, start picking it apart, like right now. Okay. Start questioning it. Right. What does it, what does it exactly mean? If, if a complication happens, what does that mean about you? What are you making it mean about you? Or what's your brain making it mean about you? Okay. The next one, something might, might happen on call that I can't handle. Right. It's kind of this fear of the unknown, fear of uncertainty, really, which certainty is never guaranteed for us, right? We don't actually have control over what will happen ever. So everything technically is always uncertain. That's certain, right? That's the only thing that we know is for sure. And so I want you to just kind of pick this apart. Like what exactly would it, would it have to be that I wouldn't be able to handle? Like, what would that look like? Right? Like, what are the examples that my brain's really worried about? Like, are there specific examples? Is it like a uh, someone coming in and abrupting or needing a massive transfusion or like, I don't know, a hysterectomy, like 
like a sea hiss kind of situation? Like what exactly would you not be able to handle? Okay. And write that down. And that's, you know, that's okay. If you feel like you have some examples, like we all do, like, yeah, there are several things on my list. Like if someone's coming in coding, like I'm going to be calling for help. Like, I don't know. (laughs) I'm going to feel real, like real nervous about that. Right. And so who could you call to assist you? You know, if you were in a tough situation, who could you call? Right. If you're in a rural place, can you call the general surgeon or the ER doc to come help? They would, they'd come help you. Right. So who could you like then like reach out to, to support if there is something that you feel like you can't handle? Okay. There's always safety in numbers. Okay. When have I not been able to handle it in the past? Has that ever happened? Maybe yes, maybe no. Okay. Um, a lot of times our, our brain functions like that happens a lot though. Right. And it hasn't happened a lot. <laughs> okay. So just be onto your brain if it offers that. How many call shifts have I not survived? The big fat zero, right? We've survived all of them to this point. We've, we've gotten through all of them to this point, right? How many call shifts have I survived? Yeah, all of them, okay? So think about that. Really kind of question, okay, what is that something? What does it mean if I can't handle it? What does that mean about me if I can't handle it? Okay, ask yourself that one. That one's a tough one too. All right, I don't have time to do any of this. <laughs> that may be some of y'all out there right now. You may be like, yeah, Miles, you're telling me all this stuff I need to do. I don't have time to do any of this. Ain't nobody got time for that, right? And so I want you to just start asking yourself, well, how much time do you need? How much time? Like, really, how much time do you need to like breathe in and out three times? It's like a minute, <laughs> maybe a minute 20, right? How much time do you need? Can you find one minute in your day to do whatever it is, Okay. Where could you be more intentional with your time? Where in your day could you be more intentional? Where in your day are you kind of zoned out, right? Are there times that you're buffering, you're zoned out on your phone, you're like procrastinating maybe? (laughs) Are there times you're spending time procrastinating in other areas, right? Can you be more intentional with those times and, and use the time to your advantage, okay? Are there any activities that you spend time on that you would like to change? You can always choose right? You always have a choice on how you use your time, okay? So if you feel like, I don't have time for any of this, okay? That's your brain being like stressed about how many things there there are, okay? And that's like living above or below your window, okay? If you want to get inside your window, you start asking yourself, okay, yeah, but like there might be some time. Let's, let's think of some solutions. Where can I find one minute, okay, to do three deep breaths, right? Okay, And then if I don't keep them happy, whoever them is, whether that's patients, people in your life, your job, okay? If I don't keep them happy, it's bad, right? Like this is kind of the the belief that we will often um, operate from if we go to fond mode a lot, okay? If I don't keep, you know, this person happy, then bad things will happen, okay? And usually those bad things are, they will reject me. Okay. And rejection feels very unsafe. So this is like a fear thing that drives us into fawn mode. Right. And so I want you to kind of think about if you kind of function from a lot of fawn mode, if you're trying to keep everybody happy, if you're like, not like having an opinion because you want everybody else to just be happy and you don't want to rock the boat at all. Or if you can't say no, if you say yes to everything, if you're the fixer in people's lives, um, if you're trying to like, you know, fix everything and their emotions, then I want you to focus on this one. Okay. So ask yourself, like, do you have the ability to control other people's emotions? Really? Like, 
if I keep them happy, assumes that we have some sort of control over what's going on in the chemical cascades in their brain and body. Okay. Can you control that? No. Right. Because our feelings come from our thoughts. Right. And you don't have mind control powers. That's really good news. Okay. So yay. Uh, So you can't control their mind. So you can never control if they're happy. And so they can be happy even if you don't try, or they can be unhappy even if you really try to keep them happy because it's all controlled by their own thoughts, okay? And so so I want you to realize that we don't actually have the ability to keep someone happy or make someone happy. They can choose to be happy or not, and I can choose to feel how I want or not, right? So do we have that ability? No. Right. I want you to kind of really question that though. If you if you're someone that tries to, you know, tries to keep the peace, right? Tries to keep things, you know, going and cool, right? Um, whenever you say yes to whoever them is, to, to this person, to this patient, to your loved ones, to your job, whenever you say yes to them, what are you saying no to for you? Okay, that's the question I want you to ask yourself in the moment. So if you are, if you are like, um, like at a meeting for a medical staff meeting, and they're like, "Hey, Dr. Miles, uh, we need you to head this new committee. Would you be willing to do that?" I want you to like pause and like ask yourself, like, "What am I saying no to for me if I say yes?" Okay, or say, uh, "I'll need to check my calendar," and then you go back and you ask yourself that, like, tell them you'll get back to them. Okay, like, let me check my calendar. I'll get back to you. And that's what you want to ask yourself. Okay. If I say yes, is it because I really want to do it or I'm trying to keep them happy? I'm trying to make them proud of me. I'm trying to get validation or is it because I'm like, that sounds really fun. That sounds cool. And I think I'd have a lot of fun doing that, or I would really enjoy doing that. Um, Then that's different, right? So if you're saying yes, are you saying no to yourself? For something. And usually if you're saying yes to them, it's saying no to either what you really want or it's saying no to having time to be with your family, time to do things you want to do outside of work, um, time to, you know, quote unquote, get caught up at home, <laughs> right? It, you're taking away from you whenever you say yes, but you don't mean it. Okay. Or if you're saying yes for other reasons. Okay. So if you relate to this type of situation, I want you to ask yourself, why do you prioritize their happiness over yours? Do you deserve to be happy? Of course you do. Okay. And if you don't believe that, hold on to my belief for you. Okay. You deserve to be happy as well. And so I want, if you don't believe that, that's something that I want you to kind of look at that. Like, why not? Okay. Can you let other people like them, whoever the them is for you, can you let other people be in charge of their own emotions? Right? Can you let other people, you know, be in charge of whether they're happy or not, and you be in charge of yours? And think about the other side. Like if someone comes to you and you ask them to do something, and they they tell you like, no, I have other obligations, but thanks for thinking of me. You're not going to be like, oh, I'm so unhappy because they made me unhappy. Like that's not that's not what you think. You're just like, okay, <laughs> right? So think about being on the other side of it. Sometimes that's helpful as well. Okay. So for any of these limiting beliefs, okay, what we need to do is really take the magnifying glass, take the spyglass and just like search all over them, you know, really pick apart each little piece of your limiting belief and really see if you could poke some holes in this and show your brain, maybe this isn't always true, right? This isn't hundred percent true. It's not the truth, 
right? And so to do that, you basically, I want you to ask yourself, you can insert your limiting belief and then ask yourself kind of a standard set of questions like, what exactly does that mean? Is that, you know, 100% true? When is it 100% true? When is it not? When is that not 100% true, right? You want to find the gray area. Is it possible there's a gray area? Probably, right? What is also possible? If this is true, what could also be true, right? Could something else also be true at the same time? Of course, we can always find that, you know, like I, um, I like warm weather, but I also like the rain, right? Like I have, you know, those are both truths for me, right? So um, find the things that can also be true. And that can show you that you don't necessarily have to have that one belief, right? Um, how does believing this help my brain? A lot of times whenever we ask this about our limiting beliefs, it's my brain's trying to keep me safe. I can see that. Thanks, brain. Not helpful in this situation, maybe, <laughs> right? Like we can, we can appreciate that about our brains. It's trying to keep us safe. Thanks, brain, but no thanks, right? How does this belief, uh, how does believing this limit me? How does this belief prevent me from, from growing, prevent me from being in my window, right? Am I responding from a place of fear? Am I believing this from a place of fear? Um, and that is, that is a lot of times for us on these limiting beliefs, okay? So the good news is that we as humans have neuroplasticity, okay? So we have this ability where we can rewire our brains. Um, and there are two ways that we can do that, either through repetition and practice, right? To learn to do a new skill, like if you're learning to knit or crochet, that movement gets uh, easier the more times you do it, right? Whenever you're learning to tie knots as a resident or a med as a med student, the more times you did it, the easier it became, okay? Um, so you can do it through repetition and practice or through strong emotion, okay? So um, for this setting, repetition and practice is where it's at, y'all, okay? So this is how we grow our window is practicing one of these things, practicing all of these things, okay? Remember, don't let your brain tell you you don't have time, okay? It literally takes one minute. You can do it while you're doing something else to take those big breaths, okay? I do that all day throughout the day, okay? It doesn't have to be this giant, like, I'm going to plan and I'm going to sit down and do my journal for 30 minutes and then I'm going to exercise for 45 minutes. It doesn't have to be like that, okay? We are used to going big or going home, but don't let your brain make you think you have to for this, okay? I want you to start thinking though, how do you plan to grow your window of tolerance over the next six months? Okay. And I, I would love to hear that from you. Like what, you know, moving on from today, if today's the start, how are you going to do that? Okay. Because we all need to do this. We are exposed to those things that shrink our windows all the time, constantly. We have chronic stress. We see traumatic events. We go without sleep, okay? A lot of us go without great nutrition if we're on call, right? Like we're eating the peanut butter and the crackers and that's okay. But we need to know that those things are shrinking our uh, window all the time. And so how can we consciously plan to grow our window a little bit every day. Okay. Um, and how can you do this in a way that you just incorporate it? Okay. I'd love to hear your ideas if you have any. Um, I would also like to offer that I have a plan. <laughs> I would love for you to join the Happy Gynecologist group, of course, if you were interested in that, because this is what we do every day and all day. Okay. It's a six month program where we we're our window all the time. This is essentially what we're doing all the time. We're getting back into our window and growing it. And so that is, you know, obviously a way um, to 
have a plan over the next six months because I guide you right through it and you have the support you need. Okay. Um, so that's always an option as well. If you feel like you need the support to work on these limiting beliefs, I got your back. I got your back. Okay. You can head over to coach-miles.com forward slash enroll if you're interested in that. Okay. All right. I'm going to open it up to questions. I would love to hear if you have any questions, type them in the Q&A. I will make sure I get everybody's questions answered. It can be related to this. It can be related about the happy gynecologist group, about survival mode, about your window. It can be totally not related. Okay. It could be something like, hey, I have this problem in my life because <laughs> I'm here. We're just having a fun time this morning. Okay. So you type in your Q&A. Um, if there's anything that's coming up for you. Okay. Um, okay. So I'm going to go over and look in the Q and a here and let's see, I'm afraid I won't have the time to commit to it. Uh, the happy gynecologist group, and it will just be another program I waste money on. <laughs> right. So you definitely don't want to, you know, commit to something. If you're like, I don't know if it's worth it. I don't know. What if I just like pay the money and I don't do it. Like I did this other thing, you know, what I want you to know is this, this group is designed for OBGYNs, okay, and it is designed to be whatever you need it to be, okay, so if you are someone that is like all in and you're, you know, you want to come to a live coaching call every week and you want to do, um, you know, watch some videos online and you want to do some worksheets, okay, like we have that option, or you can be the person that's like, I'm going to listen to it on my drive, I'm going to listen to recordings, as I commute, because I commute every day anyway. And I'm going to do the other stuff uh, at some point, you know, on whenever I'm sitting in the call room. Okay. It can be super flexible. And guess what? Nobody knows if you're at the live calls. Nobody doesn't know if you're not, you know, it's one of those things that we, uh, we can have different levels of what you do. You get to decide how this looks successful. Okay. And the best news is, is that if you show up, you get coached, you do all the things, it won't be a waste of money because it's going to work. If it doesn't work, I guarantee it. And I give you your money back. If you show up and do the work, you're going to get your money back if it doesn't work. Okay. So it's a guaranteed thing. It's a guaranteed win if you show up for yourself, but you have to have that commitment to yourself. And that really starts with saying, guess what? My happiness matters. I deserve to be happy as well. Um, you know, I matter in this. Okay. And placing that importance and putting yourself first in that way is sometimes hard, but that's okay. Um, this is something we learn to do as well. Okay. So um, the time is what you make it. Okay. You can spend a little time. You can spend a lot of time on it. Um, it's not a huge time commitment. Okay. Um, but that is, that is a common worry. You're not alone friend. <laughs> All right. Uh, next question. How do I know if I'm ready for this? Right. Uh, I assume that you're talking about the happy guy culture group as well. Um, so yes. So you are ready. If you are ready to, to put yourself first. Okay. If you have, have decided like enough is enough. I am not saying yes to everybody. I am not, I'm done. I want to say yes to me. That's when you know you're ready. Okay. That's when you know you're ready to do this work. Okay. Or if you're just like, I've, <laughs> I've got to do something. Okay. That's also a great place to be too. So, <laughs> but I want you to be in that place where you are starting to realize that you really matter here, friend. Okay. Um, let's see. Okay. Um, let's see. I'm all in, but how do I get my husband on board? 
Yeah. So I think that it's, um, you know, sometimes, you know, the husbands, we love them, right? But sometimes they, sometimes they are, are skeptical because they want us to do well. They want us um, to be successful. They want us to be happy. And so I think that just knowing that they're usually um, skeptical from a place of like, are you sure this is like a real legit thing or whatever? And like, yes, it's a totally legit thing. You know, we've, um, <laughs> we've got a ton of, of, um, you know, uh, positive testimonials on the website if you want to show your husband, but, um, also you can, you know, bring this to him and say, listen, it's guaranteed if I'm not doing better, feeling less burnt out, um, then I get my money back and it's something that I need to do for me. And that is really where it starts is placing yourself first. We're back to that. <laughs> okay. Um, I noticed that uh, I do great with things you suggest for a while and my window grows. And then I get pretty derailed due to stressful events or call shifts. And I have a huge setbacks. It's like, I forget all my tools. What do you recommend? So in this situation, this is, you know, so I, I want to tell you like, okay, once you have the tools, right, then you, the more you do them, the more you will then revert back to using them. Okay. So the more that you use them, the more you easily slip back into using those tools in times of higher stress or times of crisis. Right. And so I kind of like to think about it like, you know, like I know how, I know how to like, um, fix something, right? Like if I know how to fix, you know, at the, the other day in my office, guess what happened? The, the main bathroom is like an old school toilet. Okay. Like a, a regular toilet, like that would be in, you know, has like the lid that you could take off. And guess what? In our OBGYN office, this toilet breaks and we only have one in my little office. Okay. And so like, I have the tools and the knowledge to fix it, but I don't have to call upon that until there's a time of crisis, right? Like I have the tools, I've done it before. I know exactly what to do, right? But I haven't done it in a long time. So I was like looking in there and I'm like, mm. and so it took me a while to remember, right? It took me a little bit, but if I was fixing a toilet every day, then guess what? It's gonna be like, oh yeah, okay, crisis. Um, okay, fix it, right? Like I'm gonna remember quicker if I'm doing it every day. Hopefully I don't have to do it every day. Hopefully they, like the person, the maintenance person fixed it for good. <laughs> But yeah, like Dr. Miles, like plumber extraordinaire and you're like fixing this toilet, right? And like, I, it took me a minute and I'm like pulling on this and yeah, it took me a second to get back in there, right? To get it figured out, but I got there, okay? Same thing. You have the tools, you have the knowledge. Sometimes it takes a while if you, if you have a time of crisis or time of high stress or time of trauma, right? But eventually you kind of like, Oh yeah, so to be doing that, okay. But if you practice them more often, you know, if you get into doing these the tools, okay, journaling or doing thought work or getting coached or you know whatever this is, same thing, meditating. If you make it a part of your routine and you do it regularly, you're going to access that a lot quicker, okay. So you are not alone though. This is very common, and of course, like that's it's your neuroplasticity. You're rewiring your brain, right? Just like if I fix the toilet every day, I'd be really good at it the next time it happens, right? Because my brain's like, oh yeah, I've done this like 10 times in the last few days, right? And so the neuroplasticity is, is that I've like learned it's no problem, right? I just do this one little thing. So it's just that process of rewiring the brain, the neuroplasticity, you have to do repetition, okay? Then it becomes easy. 
takes time though. It's a process. We are kind of like, we want things to be right now. I know we're humans. <laughs> I've never worked with a coach before. What happens on the calls? Yeah. So the calls are like this. Okay. They're like zoom. I don't have slides. We aren't that formal or laid back. Okay. Um, but and it's like this, you know, like you see this stuff I'm in my, my sweater. Right. And we get on and we talk. And, um, what I do is I have you like do the little raised hand button, you know, it's like a little hand at the bottom of zoom and whoever wants to get coached raises their hand. And I bring them on to talk on the screen with me. And, um, and then we coach over whatever topic they would like and people can like send their love in the Q and a box and, you know, support each other. And then we coach for a little while. I send them back and I bring on the next person. Okay. And so we talk about life. A lot of times it's not just like I'm burnt out, coach me. You know, it's, we do a lot of talk about things at home. We do a lot of talk about, you know, relationships. We do a lot of talk about buffering and like stuffing our feelings down. It's not just like we talk about burnout 24 seven on there. And we usually just meet up for one hour on zoom, um, during the week usually. And, um, we do that every week. So uh, that's typically what happens during the calls. And it's a small group. We keep it very small and intimate. So there's not usually um, a large amount of people on there that are just like watching. Um, and so a lot of people will listen to the recordings as well. So we put them on the website, uh, the members website. So you can listen to the recordings as well um, if you get coached or if you miss a call. Okay. All right. Let's see. All right. Let's, uh, we are at time or over time a little bit. So make sure you get all your questions in. And then let me make sure I got all of these. Yeah, what if I'm not able to make it to the, the calls, all the calls? Uh, you still get a gold star. You still get an A+. Plus. You still get a good job because you can come to them or you don't have to. A lot of my members just listen to the recordings. Like if they are going for a walk, you know, if they're exercising or if they're on their commute, they'll listen to the recording. And by listening to others get coached, you are actually a stepped like a step back out of, you're not in your own brain. And so you can see like, yeah, my brain does that too. And you see them get coached and you're actually able to implement that coaching um, sometimes quicker than whenever you get coached. <laughs> so, okay. Oh, thanks, Jen. She says, thank you. This is great. Okay, y'all. Well, let's wrap it up. Okay, for those that are interested that are that are considering joining, definitely go over to coach-miles.com forward slash enroll. Um, you can uh, sign up there. Enrollment is open. The spots are extremely limited. There have been um, a few that have already filled with people that have placed deposits that didn't get in on the last group. Okay, so um, we allow deposits so that if you like, if the group is full, you can save your spot for the next one. So a few of those spots are already full. So just so you know, okay. Um, thank you for today and every session you do. Thank you, Hope. Uh, sending so much love to all of you. And um, I will be sending out the recording. So if you have friends that um, that need to hear this information, you can forward them that email, okay? So if you're like, like, dude, you have to go listen to this, send them the email, okay? Um, forward it on to a friend that needs it, okay? All right, y'all. I love you guys so much. I'm going to send you all my love and we will end this Zoom. All right. Have a great weekend. Bye. Thanks for tuning in. Remember, you can always get more free help from me by going to my website, www.coach-miles.com and clicking on free resources. If this work has helped you and you're interested in learning more about getting out of burnout and up-leveling your life as an OBGYN, Definitely check out my six-month coaching program, the Happy Gynecologist Group. 
You can always get more information on my website, coach-miles.com. Thank you.